We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. This is Wednesday, May 4th. My name is Brian Driscoll. I am not in a different location from a house standpoint, but I am in my still in my house, but my office is currently being, uh, let's say, renovated, aka a hole in the wall that's been there for about eight months is finally being filled and painted. So I could either do the show downstairs and get high off the paint, which I'm against, uh, or we could do the show in the kitchen. So for today, maybe tomorrow, I'm going to be up here in in the, the kitchen area. So it's our secondary studio is what we're going to call it for now. Joined by my guy, Ryan Roberts. And Ryan, we talked a little NFL draft on Monday. I took a little bit of a day off yesterday. I broke rule number 76. And today we're going to talk about recruiting. So there's a lot going on. I've heard it's it's a quiet time. It's a quiet time in that there's not a lot of big news in that you know guys are committing. But trust me, it's a very busy time for Notre Dame. The coaches are out on the road. They went on the road last Friday. They're out on the road again today, and we expect things to heat up a lot here in the month of May. There is a commitment happening today, and that is a decision from 2023 offensive lineman Austin Saraveld, who is from Ohio. He is going to announce today at 3.15 Eastern. We will not carry that show live, by the way. Uh, he is going to be deciding between Ohio State, Alabama, and Notre Dame. Ryan, let's just talk a little bit about his three finalists and where things stand with uh, with Austin. Yeah, I mean, before we even get into it, Brian, I think you're actually in that room because you're watching a Star Wars episode in the in the background. Yeah, right I mean, you got to you got to go with that. May the Fourth be with you, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so that's the thing. That's why I have second monitors, so I can always watch any something else, no matter where I am. But yes, exactly. that's not happening today. <laughs> it's too funny. I, as far as Austin, obviously, like you said, committing today, three thirty Eastern. This is for me and. I mean, we would agree on this. It's a Notre Dame, Ohio State battle to the finish. Those would be the final two teams. Don't feel great about it, to be very honest, right? Like, I, I, we feel as if it may be trending towards Ohio State, but it is going to be a battle between those two. I don't think Alabama, Alabama's a name recognition, right? right? That's why he's in the final two. But we've been, you know, Ohio State's been on the forefront for a long time. Notre Dame has made a good push 
with him, especially since Coach Heastan came came aboard, and obviously Austin has been to campus and good reviews for Notre Dame. He really likes Notre Dame in a lot of ways, but I, I think it's this one is just trending a little bit towards the other direction, in my opinion. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My wife is the coffee drinker in our house. So when I told her about trying out Trade Coffee, she was curious. When I told her that if she answered the survey Trade sent me, they could match her with brands she would like, she was downright skeptical. We ended up getting three different shipments from three regional coffee makers. And let me tell you, she was blown away. My coffee snob wife loved each and every new blend that she got. As a non-coffee drinker myself, I must admit, opening up the cabinet and getting a whiff of her most recent blend was aromatically pleasing. Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you, and as often as you like, whole or ground. Whether you're a coffee connoisseur like my wife, or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts, and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. Take the coffee quiz to get started. Trade Coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. And for Irish Breakdown listeners, right now, Trade Coffee is offering up to $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and start your journey to perfect cup that's drinktrade.com forward slash irish for twenty dollars off your first three bags and it, it's there's a little bit a little bit of backstory to it so obviously notre dame has talked about taking five offensive linemen that that that's we've talked about that and it'd have to be five from a group of seven guys that they're recruiting obviously sam pendleton was part of that group austin cerebell was part of that group it also included samson okanlola Charles Jagasaw, uh, Monroe Freeling, Sullivan Absher, and uh, Sam Pendleton. Did I already say Sam Pendleton? So it was, oh, Elijah Page. Excuse me, Elijah Page. Yep. And it was from that seven. And for a while there, Notre Dame was comfortable taking Sam Pendleton and Austin Cerevelt as two interior players when they were both uncommitted. Once Sam Pendleton committed and the relationship with Elijah Page started to grow, there was some like, okay, let's think about this. What then happened is, during the week of the blue gold game, note as we reported, as Ryan reported, Notre Dame absolutely knocked it out of the park with Sullivan Absher. 
I don't know what other people are reporting, but if somebody's telling you that Notre Dame has been the leader for Sullivan Abshur for a while, I can assure you that's not accurate. And so when they put themselves in the position with Sullivan Abshur that they did, the fact that he plans on making a quick decision between, you know, it's, it's Notre Dame, Clemson, or NC State, but it's a Notre Dame, Clemson battle. I think Notre Dame felt themselves in a better position there. Sam Pendleton was already in the class. The relationship with Elijah Page was growing. The communication was there. I spoke with Elijah the other day. He's been speaking with not only Harry Heastan, but Marcus Freeman as well. So when the head coach is getting involved with an offensive lineman, he's not some, you know, plan B guy, right? <laughs> that they're, you know, if they don't get so-and-so. So what happened was, is I think that Notre Dame said, hey, we like Austin, but with, with I think that there's some other direction we'd like to go. And the reason I believe that that's changed, because Ryan, Notre Dame was, like you said, pushing hard for him for a long time. When Notre Dame went back on the road on Friday, and then they had three days leading up to his decision, they never went to his school. They never visited him. And I think that was the final telling thing for me. Now, no one at Notre Dame has told me we dropped him. So I'm not saying that. I'm not pulling that, oh, he's going to go somewhere else, so Notre Dame dropped him. What I am saying, however, is I do think that in the last two weeks, Notre Dame's priorities have been in other directions. I also think that there was a thought that we might be able to, cl- we might be able to close on him in these last two weeks, Ohio State's in a good place. Notre Dame was in a good place. But Ohio State, as you have said, have you've been reporting for a while now, Notre Dame's made a great charge, but Ohio State's always been the leader for Cerebell. I think Notre Dame decided, do we want to try to make that push for a guy that maybe isn't the priority that some other guys are? And I think that's the decision that Notre Dame made. So yeah. I, I, you know, we'll see where he decides to go, but I'd be a little surprised if, if Notre Dame was that, was that pick right now. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I think it's really interesting, obviously, because I I feel like things have obviously changed a lot with Sullivan Absher, which we talked about a little bit. And I'm fascinated to follow along with this Elijah Page kind of, you know, push here because he's a really talented player that I know we've talked about a bunch recently. And I I think the big key with a guy like Elijah Page is that he has pure offensive tackle potential at the next Mm -hmm. level. Austin Cerevelt is a pure interior player. Sam Pendleton that they've already had in class is a pure interior player. They're not in the good spot with Samson Okalola, who everybody obviously always wants to ask about. So getting another pure tackle, potentially along with Monroe Freeling, hopefully, obviously in this class, I think Elijah Page is a really interesting prospect, really interesting mm-hmm. recruit. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Elijah Page, just kind of throwing some some you know context well, out there. And people learned that when we did the show a couple weeks ago on the offensive tackles. I mean, you and I talked about the fact his floor might be a little lower, although I spoke with Elijah the other night. And the other thing he told me is he was about 280 on the film because we had questioned like, ah, he doesn't look like 290, 295. He said he was about 280, but he also said he's up to 300 pounds already. And so uh, he's a really talented player. And I think it fits more with what Harry Heastan has always done in the past, right? It, which is more tackle guys. And let's just say hypothetically that Notre Dame is able to get, you know, they've got Pendleton. Let's say that the guys we think they lead for right now, right? So that'd be Charles, Jagasaw, I got to catch myself every time now. Charles Jagasaw, Monroe Freeling, and Solomon Absher, Sam Pendleton, right? Those four. Mm-hmm. And then let's just say they're able to, you know, because I don't think they're the leader for Elijah Page. I think he like, I don't know if he has a leader right now. I think there's schools he likes. He wants to go on visits and kind of see how things go. So I think if they were to say hypothetically land those five, you have now two guys that for sure are pure tackles in Page and Freeling. You have two other guys that are tackles in Jagusa and 
Jagasaw. Jagasaw. Jagasaw and Absher. And so between the four of them, there's multiple guys that can play inside as well. Whereas with Austin Saravel and Sam Pendleton, they're pure interior players. And I just think that's where he stands is more comfortable and what he's how he's normally recruited in the past. They'll take pure interior guys. I mean, Sam Mustafer was a lot like Saravel in that in, in Pendleton. Sam Mustafer was a left tackle in high school, but there right. was never a thought that he was going to be a tackle in college. He was always going to be an interior guy, and he was a good one, you know, three year starter, team captain, all that kind of stuff. So he has no problem taking an interior guy if he if if they really like him. It's just they don't want to fill up the roster with a bunch of interior guys. If you look at Notre Dame's projected starting lineup this year, right, go left to right, alt, you know, you have Christophic, you have Jarrett Patterson, you have Josh Lug, and you have uh, Blake Fisher. All five of those guys were offensive tackles not only in high school, but they were also offensive tackles early in their careers in Notre Dame. And and that's just kind of how, how they like it, right? And so uh, I think that's the direction that I think Notre Dame would like to go. Hey, Ryan, your screen just got like super bright, like you're about to get abducted by aliens, that light shining on you. I don't know if there's yeah, something that you can do to adjust that. But I, I think the other thing about this too, Ryan, is yep. when we look at when we look at the 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 recruiting of the offensive line, I think Sullivan Absher has been the game changer here. I think their ability to kind of close that gap and really put themselves in position where, as we've reported on, you know, we reported this right after the visit at Irish breakdown that they put themselves in a position to be the team to beat with Sullivan Absher. I think that is really shaking up their offensive line recruiting in a good way, yeah. because I, I think he was the guy that they weren't confident that they were going to get him and Monroe Freeling are, you know, people that I've talked to in Notre Dame, those are the two guys they probably had the least amount of confidence in. Mm-hmm. And you, you've, you've, you've obviously always felt really good about Monroe Freeling. Absher is a guy that when they were able to make the moves they made during the visit, I think it really changed how they look at their recruiting because they like him a lot. Yeah. It's just, can we really go into the Carolinas and, and go three for three? I think that was a legitimate question. I mean, and that's good recruiting strategy. Like, Hey, we're not just going to assume we're going to go three for three on beating Clemson for guys from the Carolinas. So let's make sure we have a board that we feel good about. And once they were able to, really moved the needle on Absher, I think that shook things up and allowed them to kind of narrow in on, okay, if if we can get him or if we think we have a chance to close on him here in the next few weeks, then, then hey, this is going to change a little bit of our, our trajectory with this line class. And I wanted to bring up a comment from D-Rock who said, Clemson recruiting podcaster said yesterday, Sullivan Absher appeared. He was all in on Clemson until the blue and gold game visit. Podcaster says he believes now Clemson will miss out on Absher, and that I there think that kind of that that signifies everything that we have kind of been hyping up, right? Like I did not personally feel good. I've talked to Sullivan several times in the past. I thought that he really liked Notre Dame leading up to the Blue and Gold visit, but I thought Clemson was the clear leader, like clear, right? And, and pr- like kind of substantially, to be honest, like not even just like a hair. I thought like it was Clemson and then a gap and then Notre Dame, uh, to be honest, and then the Blue Gold visit. Completely changed that. Not only did it erase the gap, I think it propelled him, obviously. Notre Dame is the, the leader now for Sullivan Absher. And yeah. we know that, you know, we should expect some movement on that front here moving moving forward pretty pretty quickly here. And if the sooner that they can close on a Sullivan Absher, the better you are because Notre Dame has all the momentum right now in that right. recruitment. Patrick Bird asked an interesting question. I think it's related to what we were just discussing. And he says, is it easier to transition from tackle to guard or guard to tackle? 
I think it's personally, it varies from kid to kid, right? That's always the easy cop-out answer. But I, I do think there's a, more often than not, it's easier to go from outside to inside. Because outside's harder. It's the same thing with like, I've, I've always felt like learn Rover for, if you're a guy that's like, oh, he's a Rover will, then put him at Rover first. Because right. it's going to be easier to learn Rover because you have to, you have so much more ground to cover than it is going to be to learn will where it's a, it's a more restricted area. Same thing here for me, Ryan. It's, I think the off the technique is important for both positions, but it's a whole different set of technique playing offensive tackle with the, the pass sets. And you know, we kind of joked about that, that there was a couple times in the spring game. I thought Josh Lug got himself really it knocked back because it's like he was kind of like, oh wait, I'm I'm taking an O tackle pass. <laughs> and it's like, oh no, you can't you can't do that. But I think it's a lot easier. Now there's an adjustment going to guard, and, and the adjustment guard is things hit you quicker, right? Because you just it's just the nature of it, especially in the pass game. But I think that it's a it's an easier transition to go from outside to inside. It doesn't mean that a guard can't move to tackle, as we saw that with Zach Martin a couple years in the NFL. He's been playing guard since he's been in the NFL, and they moved him out to tackle, and guess what? He was still pretty good, right? Because he's a great player, and he's played it in the past. So the transition can be made inside-outside, but I, I feel it's easier to restrict your your range of, of duties and range of motion than it is to expand it. Right. Just from a mental and a and a body conditioning standpoint, that's why I think it's easier to go from tackle to guard than guard to tackle. Don't 100%. 100%. I, I think when you're going from outside in, the margin for error gets smaller, right? Because you're playing in condensed spaces and there's players around you as well. When you're in an offensive tackle, you're on an island. So you are in a tough situation, a lot of one-on-one situations playing offensive tackle. So I agree with you completely. And I think that that kind of backs it up when you say how many – great how many really good college tackles have you seen transition to the nfl inside a guard it happens all the time right there's really only one player i can think of and that was Braden smith that played at auburn that was a guard who now is the starting right tackle for the colts on like a full-time basis i mean you right. mentioned like zach martin can flex out there because he's done it in the past and quentin nelson could game. do it right right but he's, a, he's a, a star right right exactly there's exactly. players that can do it, but on a long time basis, right. like moving, making that, you just don't see that much, right? Like you right. just don't. So I think the fact of the proof is that it's happened so much more from tackles to guards. That would be kind of the signal for me. I'll say this as well. I think a great guard can move out to tackle and be pretty good. I've said this about Quentin Nelson. I think Quentin Nelson would have been a first round draft pick as a tackle. I don't think he's the number six overall pick as a tackle. Maybe he would be. But you can you can have a guy that's a good player tackle that can go to guard and be really good. I don't think you're going to have a, see a guy that go from who's you know good at guard and move out and be really good at tackle. It, it, it'd be a rare thing. I if, agree. It, from a skill set standpoint, I'm not talking about like a guy maybe a great player and you put him out tackle like wow he's way more comfortable in space than we thought he could be. I'm talking about a guy who maybe doesn't necessarily he's just not great on the edge. You can put him inside. He's, he could be better. You don't often see it the other way around either, to, to your point, Ryan. Well, well, that's because, I mean, think about it this way. If you're if you're looking at a player and you start him inside a guard, there's usually a reason for that, right? Like mm-hmm. there might be he plays better in tight spaces. He's got more of a power profile. Maybe he's not comfortable in space. So Lacks when you length. Move, exactly. Right. So when you – so if you're – if but you're not going to place a guy inside to start with that doesn't have a power profile, right? Yeah. Like that's – I mean, you're going to start that kid at tackle either way. That's why that thing just doesn't happen opposite for – the guard to, from the tackle to guard combo that could just be decreasing space, and the guy maybe gets bigger, he gets stronger, he has a demeanor. Like that's more of a natural progression than moving outside. Because I mean, for that guard to tackle transition, you almost have to get more flexible, right? Better shape, 
more at right. foot quickness. And that generally just doesn't happen to that high of a degree. The, the, somebody asked the question, Rob Osgood, has, hasn't Harry Heastan typically recruited all tackles in the past and moved them, uh, those who would be better inside? Not, not, not entirely. More often than not, that's been the case. But, I mean, we've seen guys in the past that have been pure. I mean, Tristan Hodge was a center in high school, and he played center at Notre Dame. Now, again, Sam Musfer was a tackle. I mean, they were he was a tackle in high school, but they had, the intention was always to to him be inside. That still was in the spirit of Rob's question. But we have seen at times where they have recruited interior guys, and they right. stayed interior. It's not often, but like Trevor Rulin, I think, was a guard in high school. I believe he was a guard in high school. So I, uh, I, I, it's not entirely, but more often than not, yeah, he likes guys that are tackles and then he'll move like Aaron Banks was like, they were going to give him some time at tackle, but I think the thought was always that he would eventually move inside. I mean, there's guys that you recruit that are tackles in high school with the intention of moving them inside. So I, I do, I do think that's true. It, it, I, I, Elijah Page is that one's going to be interesting too, Ryan. So I, I think as Notre Dame sits here with the offensive line class, they have Pendleton in the class. I feel like they've put themselves that they're the team to beat for Absher. I feel really good about where that one is right now. I think Monroe Freeling is a guy that you have believed that Notre Dame has been the leader for for a while, whether yeah. he'll say it or not. It's just the vibe you get. And you're not alone. And we talked to Brian Smith about this. He was at a camp a while back, and Monroe Freeling was working out at the camp. And he, w- he was talking about how when people go up and interview Monroe Freeling, he would constantly be the one to bring up Notre Dame's name. Because right. most schools that cover other schools, they are almost never bring up Notre Dame unless the kid has stated Notre Dame as his leader. Or, you know, and Monroe obviously didn't do that. And then he would just bring up Notre Dame or he would bring up Harry Eastan. And that's a great sign, you know. So, and I think the recent visit helped. And here's the other thing is you've reported, Ryan, Sullivan Absher and Monroe Freeling are good buddies. They are. And the cons- the hope was always that could Monroe Freeling maybe be enough to convince Sullivan Absher to join him? Well, now it's kind of the other way around. I, I I now think Notre Dame is an even stronger position with Absher than they are with Freeling. So that's an interesting one. So you've got those those two. I think Charles Jagasaw is I, – I, I still believe Notre Dame is this leader. I, I, I will say this. I'm not as – set on it being a lock that I thought it was early. I do think he's at least open to the idea of another school winning him over. I just don't think it's going to happen right now, but I think he's more open to it. And then the final one is the fifth spot, which essentially then comes down to Elijah Page. Unless somehow Samson Okunlola shocks both of us and gets on campus at some point in time, which Neither of us right now are anticipating. So but he, he's going to schedule it, though, breath. right? He's going to schedule it, right? I'm sure someday. Don't, don't hold your breath, man. Yeah, don't not doing so. If you see me pass <laughs> out, you'll know why. I was holding my breath for uh, Samson <laughs> Okamola to make his visit. So there's a the, – and I think of those five that we talked about, Pendleton, Absher, Freeling, Jagasaw, and Page, they need to get four of them. Like that's yep. the success. Four is the number for success. Five is the ideal Sure. number so i think that's where that's where they are right now yeah no I, th- I think you coined it perfectly and i i think that when you're talking about that class potentially if it is pushed to five especially i think you have a great mesh of tackle types and guard and interior types at that point right and i think that as long as you get a monroe freeling in this class which i i think he's the pivot point in this offensive line group right the fact that you're not in on samson Okalola now anymore it seems 
I think he's a like almost a must get at this point because he's the pure he's the pure left tackle. Like I like Elijah Page as a developmental tackle, but Monroe Freeling is that pure left tackle type. If you don't get a player like him, then you're going to be scrambling in 2024 to try to find that guy right. because I mean Joe Alt's not going to be here forever, right? Like we we've we've both talked about this a ton. So they really need a pure offensive tackle type. If they get both him and Elijah Page in the class, then we're cooking with grease. Then you're you're in a really good spot because then you can let you can let Jagasaw's fit figure itself out. You can get Sullivan Absher's fit figure itself out. Maybe they both stick a tackle. That's great. Maybe they're really good at that position. But also they have some flexibility where I think they can move a little bit into different spots. So those are I think, but I think that Monroe is the pivot point, and then Elijah Page will be kind of the the, the you know the the cherry on top to this class at offensive tackle. If that yeah, because that, that ceiling is so high with him. That's the right. thing I like about him. Like that his ceiling is high, and if he if he's t- if he's telling me the truth and i believe that he is that he's up to 300 pounds man that that's that's gonna tell me something because again that was the thing with him right like of all the five guys we talked about he's got really good technique he's arguably the second best athlete of the group at worst third behind uh you know jagasaw in my opinion in regards to just pure athleticism it's just he he lacks the current strength profile of some of those other guys like absher and, and jagasaw which is why they project more inside so that's the thing I love about this O-line class is, man, like this is, there's a lot, of, there's some very high ceilings as part of this group. And I think that's the thing I really like about it. So we'll, we'll see how it finishes out. But right now they've put themselves in a great position. Now it's about closing, right? That's going to be the key, Ryan. Like you're in, you're, as right now today, May 4th, I feel like all of those five guys, I feel four right now, if I had to make a prediction today, I'd say it'd be for Notre Dame right mm-hmm. page i i don't know if i would make a prediction for anybody he's usc's on him michigan state's on him there's a lot of schools on him it's going to be how the visits go but i think you i mean you talked about this when you interviewed him right after he was offered like he's very well aware of the notre dame tradition and yes from one of the things that i've been told from a couple different sources is that, that that tosh baker took well to harry he stands coaching and had a good spring now he didn't play great in the spring game and there's a long way to go still with tosh but he's taken the coach he stands teaching. Why does that matter? He's a pinnacle kid. Elijah Page is a pinnacle, pin, a, a pinnacle kid. So there's going to be that that connection of hey, you know, if if Tosh is happy, Elijah's going to know about it, right. and I think that's going to help that too. So I, I really like where they're at now. It's about closing with this offensive line class. So Ryan, let's move to the defensive line. I'm going to kind of preview the next month. Right. It's it's now month and month and a week. I think the next five weeks are very important. I thought Notre Dame had a very good April. A couple guys they couldn't close on that they're still very much on the board on. A guy that they did close on that we weren't sure if they were going to be able to close on in in Bubakar uh, Traore here as they wrapped up that recruitment in, in April. Surprised yeah. us with a 2024 kid with Brandon Davis Swain. And just so you know, we have we published a video this morning. Sean Davis interviewed Brandon Davis Swain last night. They had a nice conversation. Really nice, polite kid, soft-spoken kid, really smart. And I didn't know this, Ryan. Grew up a Notre Dame fan. I, I had no idea. Didn't know that. Yeah. Used to watch Notre Dame on Saturdays. And then, of course, when Khalid Kareem and Adi Dukumba Ogundizi went to Notre Dame, they're kind of from where he, you know, the area where he's from. It, it only helps. So really cool story uh, Sean did with him. That's on our YouTube channel. And we also published it on our irishbreakdown.com. So you can find that video both places. You're definitely going to check it out. But that was a surprise commitment. I thought they had a good month. 
and they've positioned yeah. themselves with some guys that I think that they're going to be able to close on here in May. Defensive line is one of those areas where they have to this this next month is going to be crucial. Next five weeks is going to be crucial because you have a, a a three man class right now that's really good. Keon Keeley's elite. Brian Smith was out to see him yesterday. Brian got the same impression that you and I have reported on here in regards to Keon that after his visits and his two visits to Notre Dame, he went to Bama, went to Florida, went to Ohio State, and then he made two trips to Notre Dame to wrap up the offseason visits. He seems to be at the current moment very, very happy with with his decision and where he is. So, you know, you feel good about where that one is. Brennan Vernon is a no I mean, he's not looking around at all. He, he's locked in on this on this staff. The staff loves him. And then, you, of course, you get Boob Cartriori, who we felt when Notre Dame offered him or when he decommitted from Boston College, I should say, you felt like, boy, if they push for him, they're going to have a shot there. They got him in the class. So that that dream class that we kind of talked about a month ago is looking like it's possible if they can close in the next five weeks. So I want to talk a little bit about where things stand with the defensive line class, the, the remaining defensive line players in the class. And sort of what this class would look like if they're able to, to, to bat a thousand on defensive line. Because one of the things that we had said was, well, if we're projecting, like, you know, you can't assume they're going to bat a thousand. Well, they actually have a shot now to bat a thousand on the defensive line. And and I want to talk about that. When a month ago, Ryan, first guy I want to talk about is Devin Houston. Yep. A month ago, if you'd have asked me where things so with Devin Houston, month and a half, maybe. I'd have said, you know, I know he likes Notre Dame, but, man, Michigan's going to be really hard to beat. And here's two reasons why. Number one, Mike Ellison was the, was, was the one who built that early strong relationship with him at Notre Dame. That continued when he went to Michigan. The other thing is, is Devin Houston has an older brother, Caleb, who was a five-star recruit and a starting freshman on their basketball team this year. And so there was – and he liked Michigan a lot, and there was a lot of thought that Michigan was the team to beat. Notre Dame and now Washington have slowly just kept chiseling and chiseling and chiseling and chiseling away to the point now, Ryan, where even without a visit, I think Notre Dame has been able to to, to catch up and surpass Michigan. I All the intel we have, I believe, is that right now we expect him to make a decision. He'll be all, he, he, soon, right? We expect to make a decision soon. And moving forward, you say, okay, can they can they get them to close soon? I think that's the key because I think the more they can get these kids to commit, the more there's the pressure of, hey, here's here's uh, uh, block. Uh, you know, the the more you can get a, a guys to commit, the more it's the what we're saying. With the defensive line is kind of what we said. The offensive line, you got to get a couple of them on the board to then be able to say to the others, hey, if you really want to be here, we got to know. Right. And so Devin Houston was a guy that they zeroed in on. They pushed far, hard for him. And Al Washington has done a phenomenal job there. So the reason I wanted to bring up Devin Houston is because he's probably the lowest ranked guy of the, of the guys on the board. But he's very, very important because of all the guys on the board. He's the one guy that you look at and say for sure that guy can play nose guard in this defense. And nose guard is not like it is in a lot of other defenses. It's not a. It's not a, you know, hey, you're going to do all the work but not getting the reward. As Kurt Heinrich showed two years ago, they want a nose guard that can make plays. That's why they like Howard Cross so much right now because he's making a ton of plays. In this defense, the nose guard has to attack and be disruptive. 
and Devin Houston in a lot of defenses is an, is a three technique. In the sure. Notre Dame defense, he's a nose, and he can be a good one. And nose was super important in this class because the only nose they've really signed last year was was Donovan Heinish, and I don't even think he's a pure nose. He's two hundred seventy pounds, right? You know, and and so being able to to kind of close the gap on him and put themselves in the position they're now for for Devin Houston is huge. And now it's about you know, hey, it's it's closing the deal, and I and I really like where Notre Dame is at on this one, and I, it wouldn't shock me if in the near future he he decides he wants to make a decision that's my thoughts i just want to emphasize it again because i don't think you it, like it's important what you just said there devin Houston is a lot more important in this class than people are going to give him credit for because if they land a class that includes brennan vernon keon keely bubakar triori and a jason moore let's say for instance all those guys are going to – I think they're going to figure out how to play them together, but it's not a perfect fit because there's no guy that's a true nose. You right. don't have that exact fit into that defense. I think there's ways that you can use Dude, them. you just listed four team. top 100 players. And, and I want people to understand this. Like, no, my point is four yeah. top 100 players, right? But what Ryan is getting to – I want to stress this. Or I'm interrupting you because I want to stress this because I don't think people realize this. I'm lit, And the NFL draft – you and I were talking about this this morning. NFL draft shows this. People like criticizing, oh, this pick – it's not just about taking the best player. You have to build a team, right? If if you have nine picks in the draft and the best player happens to be a receiver every time, you can't take nine receivers, exactly. right? I know USC thinks they can do that and win a bunch of seven-on-seven seven tournaments, but you need guys that can block and tackle. And so putting a, a, a group of four highly ranked players together doesn't necessarily mean you have a great defensive line. This was my criticism of Texas A&M last year. Right. And so to your point, it's not just about landing. You just made a point that you just said, Ryan, Mm -hmm. that a group of four top hundred players where Bubakar in the 80s is your lowest ranked guy is not necessarily ideal. And and I I, want to emphasize that because I think that may surprise some people. Now, back to your explanation as to why. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 about making the defense work, right? And without that nose, the guy that, although it is an attack-style defense, you're, you're still an important player to be able to handle the run game, right? And I think a Devin Houston has gigantic potential. I think it was Brandon in here that said that he has massive upside. I agree. At that position, I think he does have massive upside because he is a six foot four plus 280-something pound defensive lineman right now, mm-hmm. who also plays defensive end for his team most of the time in high school, right. which is, I think just kind of signifies how good of an athlete he is for that position, right? And I think that he is going to give you an attack style. I think he's going to give you a physicality. This kid's going to be 300 pounds before he blinks an eye when he gets to Notre Dame. Like He's going to be a massive kid. He's a big kid right. overall. So I think it is just paramount to get a guy like him. Although he might end up being your lowest-ranked recru- recruit on the defensive yeah, line, yeah. I think that tells you how special this class could be. The fact that a top right. 250 kid, top 200 kid by some platform. I would put him closer to 150, me, personally. Yeah. Especially as a projection as a nose. Because I think that any limitations you might think that he has from a pure athleticism standpoint as a three technique or five technique are completely eliminated at nose. It, it becomes a plus. His athleticism becomes a plus as a nose. So – Absolutely right, Ryan. And I think your point about the team fit is super, super important or, you know, the unit fit, because the reality is, is Notre Dame could easily make it work 
for all four linemen if they were able to get, like you'd mentioned, like the Jason Moores, the Keon Keeleys, the Brendan Vernons, the Pubacars, along with Aiden Gobire and Tyson Ford. They're All six of those guys are going to play. The question, however, is can they all play together at the same time? And is there a four-man group that would work there? And I think that's the question mark that I have is when you look at without Devin Houston, Notre Dame doesn't really have a guy that the only kind of knows that they have would be Donovan Heinish, who's six, two and a half, 270 pounds. I just, which means that's not a guy you're going to want to necessarily have playing, you know, 50 snaps a game. The thing that we said about Donovan coming out of high school is, you know, he's more athletic than Kurt was, which is a good thing. And it's, he's a good player. But he's smaller than Kurt was. And as we saw, Kurt had issues at times, especially early in his career, really holding up at the point of attack. So I think that is something where you look at and say, hey, I'm not really sure how I feel about that one. So Devin Houston is a very important recruit for Notre Dame. Very important recruit. And kudos to the staff because I feel like this is kind of this is kind of a situation that we've talked about in the past where I I'm not sure if when I look at Notre Dame's past recruiting, if they would have felt comfortable really pushing for him with the situation going on with the brother. And so, you know, for me, um, I, I really need to see, I, I, I don't know if this is a guy they would have been able to, to get and make the push for that they had in the past. I think it would have gone, Elson would have done his best. But at the end of the day, Michigan or somebody else would have scooped them up because they didn't have a coordinator and a head coach that would have been, you know, done the work. That's why Elton Marcus Freeman being here, even just as the defensive coordinator, is so important. Because, again, as we talk about, we just talked about the head coach, you know, an offensive lineman from Phoenix, Arizona, you know, who's being recruited by Harry Heastan. And, and I'm like, so have you been talking to Coach Heastan? And he's like, and he's – I didn't even ask him what he was talking about. He goes, yeah, I talk to him and Coach Freeman all the time. And you know, I think that's kind of what 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 I really love about this staff and why I have so much more confidence they can close on these guys, right? And that's why we sometimes we it's almost like we assume that, yeah, they're going to get that guy. So uh, maybe that's wrong and we're going to get burned for that. But so far they've got <laughs> almost all the guys they want for the most part. So defensive line-wise, too, Ryan, it's not just about Devin Houston, right? There's one more guy on the board. And, yep. and really, there's only – I've done some digging on this, and I, I when we were going to do our D-line board last week, I said, okay, all right, here's who I know, and I listed the five. Okay, what about this guy, this guy, this guy? Is that look? And it was like, look, man, it's, 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 here, here, it's the five, right? I mean, you, you can talk about those guys if you want, but I wouldn't, <laughs> right? So it's like, okay. And the reason is they only need four. They want five. Right. right now, could they could they have fit five the whole time? Not necessarily. The original number was four. That has changed, and I'm glad it has. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But I want to talk about the fifth guy in the group. Not fifth guy from a ranking standpoint, because he's definitely not fifth from a ranking standpoint. He's number two for me from a ranking standpoint in this class behind Keon. Yep. And that is Jason Moore. Fifth Moore from a, I expect him to be the last one to make a decision, is what he why he's fifth. So, Jason Moore's been an interesting one, Ryan, because we've re- talked about what happened with his brother. He's only really made one trip that I know of in the last month, and that was to Ohio State. So where do things stand? You have been telling me for two months that Notre Dame is his – you feel Notre Dame is the team to beat for him. Not so much leader, but team to beat. I think those yeah. two things are a little bit different. And you talked to – some people around him yesterday or the last couple of days, and he's going to be visiting June 10th. Do you have the same confidence now that you had a month ago and a month before that, that Notre Dame is still the team to beat for Jason Moore or have things changed? I, I think, I, I think I still feel pretty much the same. You know, it, it's been one of those recruitments where it's trending in the right direction. You're hearing all the right things. And then it just gets massively delayed. And I think that that just naturally kind of gives you a, a pause, like, Let's get things moving a little bit, but it was out of his control, right? We talked about his brother, of course, guard for Villanova, had to put everything on hold because, you know, mom wants to go to the Villanova games, obviously, right, with the Final Four push there. And then his brother gets hurt. Unfortunately, tears his ACL. So during that surgery and, and all that type of situation, the family also has to be there for Justin, you know. And, and so this one's one where I think it just – it, it's made you feel a little bit like impatience, I guess is the right word for it, right? Because you feel like Notre Dame has been in a good position for so long and you're just waiting for things to start getting moving a little bit more. The fact that he's getting back for that June 10th weekend puts confidence back into me though. And now I'll say that because that June 10th weekend is going to be massive from a committed player perspective, from an uncommitted per- player perspective. There's going to be a, basically every hot target on the board for Notre Dame is going to be there for that big June 10th weekend. So I feel good about where they are going into it. I feel like that this is the opportunity for Notre Dame to push themselves over the top. I think that they are the perceived team to beat, but you have to close on a guy like a Jason Moore because people are coming after him. You mentioned Ohio state. I mean, there's going to be teams that are coming out of left field to try to get into this one or to get in a better position, jockey for position right now. So that June 10th weekend, I think is going to be massive. Penn for this state one. wants them. Michigan exactly. wants them. Yeah. Everybody wants them. <laughs> He's, 6'6", 265, defense, you know, play defensive end, could be a three-tech down the line. Like, he's a, he's a special football player. There's no doubt about it. And he's still a little bit raw, which is like, whoa, man, that dude's going to be a special, special yeah. player when he figures everything out and he fills out. So I think that Notre Dame has a big, big visit coming up. I think they're still in a good, very good position for him, but I think they really need to knock that visit out of the park to kind of close out any, any right. you know, because – you feel good, but it's still like it's still the same thing. Of it's like it's unsettling until it happens, right? right. Like, what's the holdup? What's the holdup? Because I don't think happening. Jason is necessarily the kind of kid that 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 is. I don't think he needs to take a visit to commit. I think if if it was for sure this is where he wanted to be, I think he would just commit. So to your point, Ryan, is I do think the visit is important. 
to kind of closing the deal on Jason. Now, they, the coaches got out to see him and Devin Houston this week. Obviously, they were priority guys to go out and see. And, and so getting them is is important. They have to get them. And I, and I want to talk about a couple things, Ryan, that, that, are, that factor into this D-line too. Number one is beyond just how important it is to get the kind of D-line class, I, the first thing I think it needs to be addressed is Devin Houston and Jason Moore, both like Maryland, you know, Maryland, D.C. area kids. And I think it is so incredibly important for Notre Dame to start having more success in that area and getting the Devin Houstons and the Jason Moores, turning Cam Hart into a high draft pick are going to be super important things to making, to having more success there. And even DJ Brown, he hasn't turned out to be a great player, but he's been a great part of the team. He's had, so he's going to have a degree from, he already has it. He's going to be getting it, I think in May degree from Notre Dame. He's going to be a, you know, been a rotation guy for three seasons. He's going to go back with a, and he was a three-star recruit. He's going to go back with plenty of great things to say about his experience in Notre Dame. Another DC Catholic school kid or private school kid, excuse me. This is an area that has to be a hotbed for Notre Dame. And for too many years, we've seen, we've seen Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan and Penn State kick their butt in this region. And they've had some success. You know, obviously you got Sam Mustafer, which was huge. Sam was a heck of a player for Notre Dame. He was a starter on the 2017 line that won a Joe Moore award. He was a captain. He's now starting in the NFL. I believe he started last year for a chunk of the season, correct, for the Bears. Am I correct in saying that? You know, and, and great representative of the school and all that good stuff, right? And and you've you've had DJ Brown and now Cam Hart from that area too. So they've gotten some kids, but think of the guys they've missed on that if if they could have got them. I mean, just you know, Terrell Hall. Was he Hall first and then Lewis or Lewis first then he was, Hall? He was Hall first, he was Hall now first he's Lewis. then Lewis. Correct. You talk about Chase Young. You talk about you talk about quarterback mistakes, not taking Kevin Hogan out of Gonzaga, right? I mean, there's been so many kids that, you know, Caleb Williams was from that area. Brian Kelly did a terrible job recruiting him. Not that they would have got him anyway, but you get the point. That's the kind of talent this region produces. It's not 30 was, kids a year. But the yeah. guys in the top are difference makers. Wasn't wasn't Thomas Booker from that area too? He, if I remember was. correctly, he went yeah. to Gilman, yeah, Baltimore yeah. Gilman, which is a really. And here's the thing: there are some really big time private schools. Like, and I'm not talking about private schools in like IMG where they're great sports programs. I'm talking about like Baltimore Gilman mm-hmm. is an elite private school from 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 when I recruited that area. Right, Saint uh, Collegiate, Saint John Collegiate, outstanding school. Right. Mm-hmm. Calvert Hall, outstanding school that Gonzaga, really good school. These are I'm not sure about Damatha and I'm not saying it isn't. I, I don't I, I never recruited anyone from Damatha, so I can't say firsthand that it is a great school. But it wouldn't shock me if it was because a lot of the schools in that region are. And so it's not like you're getting these kids who have never taken a real class before. Or all, I mean, that's there. The Kajando brothers were from the area, too, that went to out both went to Alabama. Yep. So it's a it's a region where Notre Dame should have success. It's not far away. I mean, it's it's a it's considered a sort of your base region, right? That northeast kind of area. And it's just an area they have to have success. And if they're able to get more in Houston in the same class, and then a year like a year later turn Cam Hart into a high draft pick mm-hmm. out of that region, that could open up some huge opportunities for Notre Dame because you know, maybe maybe if they would have had this success two, three years ago, maybe they might have a better shot at a Nicholas Harbor. 
may, may still not get them, but maybe they'd have a little bit more ability to kind of get into that one. I still think track would make it hard for them to get him, but that's a different story for a different day. So -hmm. that's the point, Ryan, is if you can get this into an era where you can start, you're not going to get every kid, but you can start getting your Jason Moores and your Devin Houston's and your Cam Hart's every year out of that area. It just adds a fertile ground of big time players that you, so you don't have to go down to Miami and beat everyone in the, in the country for a kid from Miami. You don't have to go down to Atlanta or Dallas and beat them for all those kids. You can still go in those areas and have your successes, but it's so, so important to have success in this region. And these two kids are a huge, huge part of that, not just for this class, but potentially for future classes. Every time we have this conversation about that region, I just keep thinking about Jeremiah Wusu Kormoa's little brother and Nathaniel Wusu Botang, who's only a 2025 kid, but he taught he's from the Matha Catholic as well, the same as Jason Moore. And he always and he the first thing he said to me was with how DeMatha prepares me, I feel good about transitioning to Notre Dame if that's where I ultimately end up, right? So tapping into those types of schools, because I mean, when you talk about, if you just ask an average fan that maybe pays attention to high school to a different degree, I bet you most of them have heard of DeMatha Catholic, right? The the players that have come out of there and just the, the, the reputation of the program in general. So yes, you're correct. I think that you have to tap in to that region because there's a lot of talent that comes out of there. And hmm. you're not... I mean, you're you're about the same distance from Notre Dame as you are from Alabama, right? I mean, like it's not that crazy of a distance is comparative, right? So yeah, I think that those regions where they and also it's the fact that Maryland has not been a great program in a little mm-hmm. bit, right? There's no base school right there that's just feeding off of that region or should not be for football. Off that region. Exactly. Yeah, not for football. Yeah, basketball, basketball used to be that yeah. way exactly. under Gary Williams, but even then, it, but Notre Dame's had success in basketball from the. I mean, you know, Jaron Grant was from Dematha. Mike Bray is a Dematha guy, right? They got DJ Harvey a couple years ago, so they have to start having success there, like you said. If, if northern, if if northern, if so, when I say northern Virginia, central to northern Virginia on up, that Richmond on up area, Tidewater is always going to be a tough area to get into, just from an academic standpoint. There are just a lot of kids from there that just don't fit Notre Dame, and I'm saying that as, it breaks my heart to say that, but that I, I know that area. That's where I'm from, right? But that northern, that central to northern Virginia, up through Maryland, D.C., New Jersey could be such a hotbed for Notre Dame because there's there's I mean I'm not like guys we're not talking about role players. We're talking about difference makers. We're talking about five stars. Jason Moore's not a five star, but he's a top 50 recruit that to your point Ryan if if his technique gets cleaned up, he's a no-brainer five star upside guy that could maybe tap into that by next year. Maybe he doesn't tap into it till his freshman sophomore season in, in in college. So it's such an important area and and practically speaking about these defensive linemen the thing I like about it is it's, it's evidence that the last two cl- – since Marcus Freeman has arrived, there's been one thing, two things that are very, very obvious that Marcus Freeman is looking for. He's looking for guys that are athletic and can move, and that's the same thing, and then guys who are long. And I'm looking at this group of players. You've got – in last year's class, you got Tyson Ford, who's about 6'4 and a half, 6'5". Aiden Gobier is 6'5 to 6'6. Keon Keeley's legit 6'6. Brennan Vernon is listed between 6'4 to 6'5. Devin Houston is 6'4 to 6'5. Jason Moore is about 6'6 with insanely long arms. Bubakar is 6'4 with the arms of a 6'8 guy. The length they that they will have added if they're able to get Devin Houston and, and Jason Moore is insane. 
But the thing about it is, for their positions, all these cats are athletic. Even Donovan Heinish, who we didn't talk about, he doesn't fit the length thing. But the one thing about Donovan is he's athletic. For you know, He's an athletic kid. The athleticism and length that they're adding to the front is so important. And I, and I think this, this is – here's why this is important, Ryan. You want to somewhat neutralize those teams with elite athletes on the perimeter, beat the mess out of them up front. You have to. Be disruptive. How do you stop a quick game? Have six six dudes across your defensive line, and they're trying to hit the RPOs and stuff, throw your quick game, and you're just getting your hands up on them, right? It, it, getting guys off blocks, getting to the court. It, it, these things are so important, and I think that the fact that Marcus Freeman gets that from a recruiting mm-hmm. standpoint, and, and he did it immediately when he – I mean, think about who he went after. Tyson Ford, Gobira, Josh Burnham, Junior Two Alamaka, Jalen Sneed, Benjamin Morrison – all these cats are soup. Nolan Ziegler, who was in the class, who they could have pushed out. If Notre Dame didn't think highly of Nolan Ziegler, they could have pushed him out of the class and got Sebastian Cheeks. He wanted to come to Notre Dame. They told him no because they were full, because they liked Nolan Ziegler. That's how much they liked, excuse me, like Nolan. So that's a really, really, really important thing. And yeah. so now that you're getting that length up front, which they don't have a ton of, I mean, there's the Foskies and the Aaronsburgers and the Millses, but there's also a lot of Jacob Lacey's and Jason Adamiolas and Justin Adamiolas and Howard Crosses, who are really good football players, but not as long as some other guys. Jason's pretty long. So it's, man, it, it, it how, I mean, I'm just kind of going on and on and on because I'm just sitting there thinking about the possibility of this five man class and what it would mean for Notre Dame. On the I, I think, I think what people need to also realize is why is length so important? I mean, you mentioned the practicality perspective of batting passes and closing passing windows and doing all that type of stuff, which is absolutely. It's also the fact that Notre Dame wants to run multiple fronts, right? Like there's, there's going to be some guys like I think of Sheldon day, for instance, right? Sheldon day was a really good penetration style play three tech for Notre Dame, but you wouldn't want him playing in a odd man front, you know, just cause he doesn't have the length to play that. Even Derek mm-hmm. Landry was a guy that like, you didn't want necessarily to be in that role. Stephon Tewitt though, can, you know, why Stephon Tewitt has length for days. So he can play a base in a four man front. And he could also play a three man. And I think that when you see guys like a Jason Moore, I mean, Jason Moore can play big end to three tech in a four man front. And then if you want to go into an odd man front, he can play a four, four eye and be a disruptive player in that regard too. Brendan Vernon at six, five, 280 pounds or whatever he is now, I feel the same way about. He's a guy that I think is going to play a base end, a a strong side defensive end, but he might eventually be that three-tech inside. And then when you're going to an odd man front, Brandon Vernon can do the same thing that Jason Moore does, right? And he can be a guy that can play a four, four four-eye. You can switch to different fronts without necessarily bringing in another interior defensive lineman. You don't need a true nose in that, in that situation when you already have guys that can kind of do different things on the defensive line. So that's another reason why that length is just so, so, so important because you can go much easier from an even front to an odd front in an instant, and you don't have to change your personnel. Like that's what these types of dudes are. These guys can play in multiple fronts. I think that's important when you when you look at at breaking down this defensive line class is because it's great to have five guys. But what did we say last year about the Texas A&M class? Okay, they got a bunch of defensive ends, but you can't play four of those guys together. You can sometimes play three, mostly a lot of them are are two, two and three at the most. 
the thing about this class is there are guys that can there I think I think Brandon Vernon could eventually play the nose as well. I don't necessarily want him there as the full-time guy though. I want him to be able to kind of show it and go from place to place to place. And I think that's very, very important. And so I think that key, the ability to have those versatile guys, I think there's something else that people need to understand too. And this gets talked about a lot. And we talked about it last week. And I want to say it again for, for those who haven't heard us say this before. One of the legitimate questions that people have, and this is a legitimate question that people have when, when looking at the, the, the class, right. Is if you look at that ideal class, they say, well, there's really only one true edge player and that's Keon Keeley. Well, the thing you have to understand is Notre Dame's defense only has one true edge player. The big end is not a traditional edge in, in in the sense that it has been in the past. They'll play some wide techniques, right? They'll play some outside of an offensive tackle techniques, and they'll even at times even play nine technique, although not often they play a, a true nine. It, it's really three big guys and a viper is really the makeup of it, and we explained it. We broke it down last. We got to encourage you to go listen to it, but I just want to remind people that that a lot of the questions we have are that's the nature of the off the defense and, and it's going to continue. You're not going to see them recruit three Vipers per se. Now, if Notre Dame could recruit three Keon Keeleys, guess what? They'd recruit three Keon Keeleys and figure it out. Right. So we're not saying like they're going to only recruit one Keon Keeley, but if you're talking about recruiting for your scheme, the reality is, is that you want the bigger, longer guys as your three down guys and then because if you think about it even under Clark Lee and Mike Elko Notre Dame has only ever had a defense that had three guys with their hand in the dirt they haven't had a team a defense with four guys with their hand in the dirt as their base defense in years Brian Van Gorder was the last guy to do that oh you know so you know I, I think that's something to consider who's, too who's that who's Brian Van Gorder you some know? guy with a terrible goatee and mustache that used to be at Notre Dame not a real nice guy so not not a big fan so uh, th- it has a chance to really be an offense, a- awesome offense, awesome defensive line class. But they got to finish, right? That's the key. They got to finish. I think Devin Moore's the guy they're closest to finishing on, and then Jason Moore. The visit is going to be key. That visit is going to be super important because I don't think he's. I, I think you're correct, and you've been correct for a while. I do think Notre Dame is the team to beat for him, and has been for a while. You've made that clear. But I, I he's the kind of kid that if he has two great visits to somewhere else, and the Notre Dame visit doesn't go well, I could see another school pass in Notre Dame. So sure. I do think that this is going to be very important.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.